full of life with a wicked chuckle, the remarkable Hilary is about to celebrate her 98th birthday. So happy birthday, Hilary. Do listen on to hear more about her life. We're in the park one day, lovely, older children's swings and what have you, like this round the edge with little black faces. And it was when we had just arrived and I sat down on a seat with a lady and I said, may I? So she said, yeah. So I said, oh dear, why don't those children go in and play? And she looked at me and she said, those children? So I said, yes, I said, they could all play together beautifully. They're black. I'm Anne Dibbon. And I'm Julie Tattersall. I'm Bev Evans, and this is Unexpected Turns. Today we are with the very regal Hilary, who was herself a very unexpected turn in the lives of her recently retired parents. Hilary describes herself as a miracle baby born in the 1920s to a 50-year-old couple. It was the last thing they had been expecting, but she is a very, very much loved baby. And now, well into her 90s, considers herself to have had a very, very lucky life. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with Hilary and my dad. A friend of Hillary's. Well, let Hillary see how good she looks on, t- on TV. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> no, oh dear at all. That's really sweet of you. <laughs> so, thank you very much, Hillary, for coming and agreeing to do thank this. Thank you very much for asking me and bringing me over here. It's lovely to be with Jim again. And it's lovely to meet you for the first time, and I hope to meet you several more times. Yes, please. <laughs> of course. Hillary, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself as a child? I know it's going back quite a way. A long way. Well, I had, for these days, I suppose, maybe not so much, uh, older parents and uh, my father had early retirement and we moved into the country. And all I remember, being a little girl in the country, my father was the lay reader for the local church and our vicar was, in those days, we thought he was terribly old because he was 80. I suppose we had quite a busy church life. I was always brought up in the church, always been in the church. And I don't know how people can cope if they haven't any faith. But, um, I've been blessed, very blessed, all my life. That's lovely to hear. Were you an only child? Yes. Right. So how old was your father when you were born then? Mm, about 50. About 50. Mm. And so your mum was older as well? How old was she? Oh, yes. I think I was a bit of a miracle child, yes. I think she was nudging there. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember anything apart from being very happy as a child? Oh, I can remember them. Cutting the corn and they'd start early in the morning. Uh, we looked over the... Uh, field where the corn was. The awful part was the rabbits used to come out and the local boys used to take sticks and beat the rabbits and take them home for supper. Yeah. And that always upset me. And the harvest festival, of course, was great fun. And we used one of the kiln barns because they grew hops there. Wow. And uh, the hops were out of them. I take it by the time we wanted harvest supper and one thing I do remember um, great excitement we had a magic lantern wow what exactly is that uh, we had all these slides on this magic lantern but for the life of me I can't remember what we saw but I was just (laughs) so enthralled with the magic lantern and that was just your family or did everybody no, locally? No, that was the whole village. We all went. I think we had that in the in the schoolroom. I'm just thinking, where exactly was it in England? Chelsea Walsh. Where's 
Have you heard of the motor climb? The hill climb? I've heard of hill climbs, yes. Yes. Well, this is a very famous hill climb. And at the bottom of the uh, track, there is a 12th century church. Mm. And when we went there, it was in very bad condition. But um, my father had a lot to do, so couldn't really see why the church couldn't be in use again. And every month we had a service at mm. the church. But since I have been back, not sure if it's the RAC, I think it is the RAC, but I ought to be careful so I'm also going to listen to it, um, have put money into the church and all around there because, of course, it's very nice when they have their hill climbs. There's mm. also the church for people to go and see. What was the nearest town? Worcester. Worcester. Mm, it was about 14 miles away. And we had a bus into Worcester on Saturday. And on Thursday, we had a bus into Kidderminster. But we wouldn't ever, uh, never taken on the Thursday bus to Kidderminster because it was market day and the animals were driven down to the market. And my mother said, no. We can't possibly go up with those poor animals going around like that. So we didn't ever go to Hanover's, but wow. we um, went to Kidderminster. But we did go to, to Worcester every time. That was quite an outing. Mm. And uh, we always had lunch at the, I can't remember what it was called now, Corbett or something, tea room. and. Uh, and I always had egg and chips, because I never had chips at home. <laughs> Lovely. And did you go to school then in the village, or did you have to travel to yeah, school? Yeah, I went to school in the village until I was seven. And then I went to Birmingham and stayed with my um, great aunt and went to school there. So you left home at seven? Well, yes, only to go to school. <laughs> so how far away was that? That's quite a way. Oh, it's about 30 miles, I suppose. We used to go down back for the weekends. And, and uh, I mean, she had her own car. So we, um, my mother used to come up and stay. And, and did, did she have any children? No, my great aunt was a spinster. Right. She had, she was engaged twice during the, First World War, and one was a major in the army, and he was killed almost immediately. And her second one was almost right at the end of the war, and he was a naval captain, and he was also killed. Mm. She didn't ever marry. And her brother, my great uncle, he was engaged to a girl in the VAD, and she was killed in France in one of the hospitals behind the lines in France. So they lived together. All right. And, uh, so when you went to stay with your great aunt, you stayed with both your uncle and your great aunt then? Yes, yes, they lived together. He was a bachelor and she was a, a spinster. And uh, See, they're, they're not terms used nowadays. It's, no. It's interesting how things change, isn't it? It is. How did you feel about leaving home and going and living away well, from your parents? Well, I knew parents? them well. We were all very, very close. And uh, I used to spend a lot of holidays with them anyway. And uh, I suppose it was sort of almost extension of family. Yeah. And, uh, and you were very happy there. Yeah, I was very happy there, uh, yes. And was it very different, Birmingham, being in a very big city as compared to a small, very quiet village? Yes, but don't forget that I did spend many holidays there and it was a nice suburban area in which they lived. I don't know. I don't think it bothered me a lot. I think I was quite happy yeah. in my own little life. Definitely. And you, so you went to school in Birmingham until you left school? 
from seven? No, my parents then at the big when my father wasn't happy with the way things were going worldwide, and so they moved to Birmingham. They moved back to Birmingham, and I came back to Birmingham. And uh, so, how old were you then? I was eleven, and then I went to school in Birmingham. So you say your father wasn't happy with the way things were going worldwide, but that was still several years before the war, the Second World mm. War. So did he have a an mm. inkling? He, he had an inkling that we might have had a war, but we haven't finished it. I always remember an expression he used, and he said, I can see war clouds gathering. Now, I can remember looking up at the sky and thinking, well, wonder what they look like. <laughs> Gosh, so he knew what was coming. Hmm. Did he make any predictions, any preparations for the war if he was... Well, no, the only preparation I suppose he really made, he decided that I had to get myself a career that would not... Uh, he th said then that he thought that the girls would be put in forces and all the rest of it. Whether they would be volunteers or not, he didn't know. But no way were I going in the forces. And so when I was 15... And that's just before the war, war broke Just out, before the war. He said, well, you're going to leave school. And I had to take a... I can't think what it was. It was some sort of written paper. And by all accounts, I was going into communications in the civil service because that would always be needed. Mm. And I would have a pension at the end of it. And if I did marry, I would have a, a diary. But I would be safe from being taken in the forces. And so it appeared that communication was post office. All right. And um, that was great fun. We worked six hours a day. Anyway, it was five days a week. I think maybe it was five days a week we did six hours. But we had to go to school. We had to go in the evenings to, well, I suppose you call it night school now. Then, when So was, what did you have to do in the night school then? Well, the sort of thing that you'd be doing at school if you were going to do your uh, matric. Right. Because at 16, we were all told that we would now be taking our civil service exam. And those that passed stayed. Those that didn't, didn't. So we took it, and luckily, don't ask me how, <laughs> um, I passed. Wow. And uh, and so it's about this time that war broke out. War, war broke out while I was at the office one day, yeah. Well, I mean, it had on the Sunday and everyone was talking about it on Monday, yeah. Do you remember that distinctly, that announcement over the radio? Did you have a radio in your home? Oh, yes, yes, we did, because an uncle of mine, he had been a radio transmitter in the First World War, and he was very, very interested in radios. We had one a crystal radio to start with. Well, I think we're the only people in, around that had got a radio. Mm. Yes. I can remember, because it was a Sunday morning, and I can't think why we weren't at church, we were at home. Whether we'd all said, well, there's going to be an announcement made, I don't know. And we sat there with mm, half the village and listened to it. And I can remember the, most of the women just sort of burst into tears. Mm. And my mother said, We've done it once, I suppose we can do it again. Mm. Stoic. That was it. And so how did the war affect you, particularly for that first year when we didn't 
Well, we weren't actually sending troops abroad, were we? Well, we had our duties. If you were under 16, yes, the first time, where if you were under 16, you didn't work after six o'clock at night because it was all shift work. Mm. Uh, but then, of course, it got different later. And uh, I think we all had a wonderful time. We were all a lot of youngsters, young girls together. We always went to the cinemas, or it was on at the cinema. We go out and have meals together. Yes, it was. Do you remember any of the films you saw? I can't offhand. Oh, Gone with the Wind. I remember that one. What about Snow White? Oh, yes. I remember my um, my father was... Okay, he was straight-laced. And we were... Must have, been, must have been when we were in Birmingham. And everyone was talking about Genevieve. And we went to see Genevieve. My father was horrified <laughs> because there was a shot there. And they were both in the same bed. Oh, right. That's all I remember about Genevieve. Gosh. Really? I I don't think you should go to these cinemas, Hilary. I I really don't agree with them. But with with all your friends that you were were working, you used to go. We used to go. We used to have great fun. And we'd go to the local dances. And it was really, really happy. This was at the start of the war, so the war had broken out and you were still... Yes, and I met my husband, who was waiting. He'd volunteered for aircrew, and he was waiting for his 18th birthday. And on his 18th birthday, he had a letter to say report to somewhere in Regent Street or somewhere on his 18th birthday. And. Uh, that was it. You were slightly younger than him, weren't you? I was two years younger than he was. Two years, so you were six. So you met your husband when you were 16 and he was 18. Did you get married before he went to war? Or? No, no, we didn't. Uh, we didn't get married until I was 19. So that must have been hard, knowing he was going to go off and fight. It was very, very hard. But what is your face for? Yeah. So leaves are absolutely super. He then went out to Canada, where he got his wings and his commission, and he came home and went to uh, Peterborough area. And uh, in the end, he was... Oh, then he was transferred to Coastal Command in Ireland. He went to Coastal Command. And then from there, he was taken off flying. He was having some sort of ear problem or something. And um, he went to Palestine. And he met the same chappie as he met when they'd been together in Peterborough. They'd met up again and they had a lifelong friendship. That was it. I just sort of. Stayed on at the office. By this time, we were working underground, sending telegrams all over the place. Some civilian ones, some forces ones. Mm. And so when did you get married then? You got married when you were 19, so you were still working at, at the post office when yes. you got married. Uh, well, I got married at, at Chelsley. I went, we went back to Chelsley, where I felt her home was and uh, I married in the church there but your father had helped and uh, oh lovely so that was that what was your husband's name sorry Kenneth Ken and then when he was demobbed he was very very lucky he was taken on by someone attached to Bishon Radlow because of course he hadn't a job he Mm. anything at all and he was taken on as training manager there and thoroughly enjoyed it and that was in Birmingham or was that, that was in Birmingham and we 
there was another great aunt. She had been a widow in the First World War and she had decided that she was going to sell her house and the other two, brother and sister, all three of them were joining up together and they're going to live in Ludlow, mm. buy property there. So it's a very, very reasonable price. We bought our first house. Congratulations. And uh, <laughs> of course, it was very hard to furnish because there was nothing around. Everything was on coupons. You had so many coupons for bed, so many coupons for a dressing table, so many tables. And you were working out in the end, well, which is more important? Should we have a wardrobe? Those are so many. Or should we have uh, a chest of drawers? Now that's to hang. Those are the. <laughs> wow. But um, it, it was fun. One thing that interested me was you leapt from being in the post office to come out of the army, and there's no mention at all. You're in Birmingham, you haven't mentioned at all. You said you were working underground. But in Birmingham. About, in Birmingham, but nothing at all about the bombing or anything like that, or how it affected you. Well, I suppose the thing is, it was almost a way of life. You'd think, uh-uh, bomber's moon tonight, and you'd hear the sirens go and they make for the air raid shelter and they hardly ever mentioned i don't think they ever mentioned birmingham as being hit at all because of course most of the industrial um factories were there mm. and they might say uh there was slight bombing in the midlands we say slight bombing in the midlands we've been in the air raid shelter for 14 hours <laughs> But in London, it's been censored. <laughs> so there were there were a lot of buildings destroyed, though. In Birmingham, oh yes, weren't there? Yes. In fact, the main post office was hit. And luckily, we were downstairs, uh, but that, of course, was in the night, and uh, I don't think anyone was killed there. But when we went in the next morning. The uh, security man on the door said, you, know, you always have to show your pass to get here. He said, I don't think you're coming in today. I said, what do you mean? It looks a mess. He said, yes, I know. He said, but they've got to get all the wires rerun. He said, like, frankly, we're closed today. He said, there wouldn't be anywhere to have your lunch. <laughs> <laughs> the priority, your lunch. So... I said, oh, what do we do? So he said, well, sign here to say that you have come in, but go home. He said, but come back tomorrow. Anyway, the next day we went back and there was even more stuff brought down stairs. And from that time, we never saw the light of day. And, uh, but where you lived, there weren't bombs being dropped. It was just in the centre where you worked. Uh, well, there were bombs, but where I lived, uh, there had been bombs, and the house in which I was living had uh, got bomb blast. It wasn't hit exactly, but it wasn't safe because of the blast. Right, so all the windows and... Yes, so I went then to live further out of Birmingham. A friend at the office said... Oh, I bet my aunt would like you to go and stay with her. Because my parents by this time had moved back again, mm. back to Shelsley. So this was the house that you'd, you and your husband had bought and you'd saved all the coupons to buy a bed? No, that wasn't. This was before I was married. All oh, right, okay. Uh, you said about the bombing. Yeah. Yes, in the suburbs. Yes, there was bombing in the suburbs. Some of it worse than others, depending on the area. And so I then had to go and live with this girl's aunt. It was very good because my aunt and uncle, they had moved out to stay with their other brother who lived in Evesham. And it was where, at Wood Norton, where the BBC had gone. All right. And uh, they, they went out there. Do you remember the end of the war, clearly? Yes. The war because we were all on duty. 
our little group. And everyone was outside dancing around and all the rest of it. And we were still stuck on the ground. We were on duty. So the actual sort of jollifications and all the things you see of people dancing mm. around, we didn't get any of that. Uh, oh, somebody brought a bottle of something in. I don't know what it was. But I had never drunk, and they gave me this glass, and I thought it was the most awful thing. No idea what it was, whether it was cider, whether it was wine, or it could have been anything. But it was completely wasted on me. We did our celebrations afterwards, just counting for when the demob was going to be, as they gave you the numbers of which group were next to me. And in the end, Ken was still in Palestine. And when his demopt came, they went from Palestine to Marseille. And then they were they kept waiting around in Marseille. And then they were taken up to the coast and they got up on a boat. And they were told, and when you get to England, there's a train waiting and you're all going up to Manchester, and they right. all said, no, we're not. It was day before Christmas Eve. No, we're not. We're going home. Those that go to Manchester, live in Manchester, they know, but we're not. On account, they said, oh, all right then. And so they all got their own trains, and I got a telegram to say that Ken would be at New Street at whatever time it was. Um, see you then. Hmm. Wow, that was absolutely marvellous. Did he get one of the famous demob uniforms? Oh, yes. What was it like? <laughs> Pretty awful. <laughs> and the thing is, he got a felt hat with it as well. And I'd never seen him wear a hat in his life. Oh, gosh. What sort of what colours were they? Being? It was grey. Grey felt hat. I don't think there were any shoes. I don't know what there was. But luckily, having been in the forces, and being commissioned, he did get clothing coupons, quite a good allowance, so that they could keep, you know, keep their uniforms smart and no excuse. So he wasn't too badly off. He needed them. Then he started off on this course, absolutely wonderful. And this was with Ludnam and, what were they called again, sorry? Fisher and Ludlow. Fisher and Ludlow. And then he, he had for uh, Nicholas, and uh, he was given a factory to look after in Digbeth and they were making vending machines. It was vending machines. We just, yeah. oh. I think he quite enjoyed that. I bet it was lovely just to have him home. and Oh, magnificent. I mean, crashing was difficult. And bear in mind, we'd never run a house before. Mm. I mean, I look back now and I think of my mother and my mother-in-law, how they did it. And I think, well, you know, I had to, but it, it was very hard to know quite how to make things. And there wasn't very much available. Much. Oh, there wasn't much available, no. And you, bread rationing, I think, was the worst. What was your bread rationing? Can you remember? I think it might have been two loaves a week, or maybe three loaves a week, and if you had... A bag of flour, you only had two. I can't really remember. Did you, a lot of people make their own bread? And did a lot of people make their own clothes? Because I know the other lady oh, yes. you talked to, she made all her own clothes. Yes. No, I, I wasn't clever. We did um, make and mend. We'd look at our other old clothes and go, you know, oh, well, we'll take the, the top off that and make that into a skirt and <laughs> that sort of thing. Mm. It's, um... And did you notice that people's attitude, when we were talking to somebody else, she was saying that people's attitude to women changed after the war. Before the war, it was very much these are men's jobs, she was oh, saying. Yes. And after the war, it was a very... Did you notice that? Well, no, not really, because I think we were all women. The engineers were the men's. Never saw a woman engineer there whether it kept the machines going but it was the 
bosses of each division, they were male. Yes, I agree. But we did have some female bosses as well. Don't think it made an awful lot of difference. The thing that I did notice when we went home to Shelsley, we had the car, and when the war was on, anyone that had a car, um, you know, the doctor and the vicar, no, he, well, he had a driver, he had a car, and maybe one or two of the farmers, and the bus stop was two miles away. They would stop and give you a lift. That's After nice. the war, they didn't stop and give you a lift. This was the thing we noticed. I wonder why that was. I don't know. Was it because they had a big influx of people into the country after the war? Could have been. Did you notice that in your village, that a lot of people came to live in the country from the towns after the war? No, not from the, not from the towns. But, of course, the men came back again. The farm labourers came back again. So I think we were very lucky. I don't think we lost a lot of people in the village. And I think most of them did come back. That's good. And so it was very good. We stayed in the house that we bought from my great-aunt. Nicholas was born there. I suppose about three, three or four years. And then we realised that a lot of them had been, the houses had been requisitioned during the war. And now they were going up for sale. And people were buying them and renting them out. And suddenly it wasn't quite as it used to be. We had, uh, sounds horrid, but we had lots and lots of Irish families coming and uh, we didn't at that time have any coloured. And we put our house up for sale. And we caused almost a riot because a delightful Jamaican came mm. and said he would like to buy the house. And he had been a pilot in the war. Oh, and did your husband know him or? No. No. And his wife had been nursing in the war. But was she coloured as well? She was coloured. But the neighbours didn't like it at all. And he was, he, um, I think he, he was back at uni and he was training to become a doctor and she was going back to nursing. But it made no difference, the fact that he was possibly better educated than a lot of the people around. He was coloured. And there was a lot of prejudice. And there was a lot of prejudice. And day we left, no one said goodbye to us at all. But Did the Jamaican moved in? He moved in. And by all accounts, he said, after about six months, he said, things changed. And someone we knew there said, oh, well, when, you know, somebody's water pipe had sort of overflowed or something, he was there and was helping and that sort of thing. And in the end, but of course, by that time, possibly half the houses were coloured anyway. Right. But it seemed so sad. He was such a nice chap. Did you keep in touch with him? No. No. Because it was difficult, wasn't it, it if was you moved difficult. away then? It's not yes. like now. No. No, I mean, if we'd kept in touch, it would either have to have been by telephone or letters or something like that. Well, we had our own little lives to go. We moved on to a relatively new housing estate in Sutton Coalfield, which was north of Birmingham. And uh, Nicholas went to school there. It was a delightful primary school there. And of course we got mixed up with the church and scouting. Ken became group scout leader. Felicity, when she was older, became our uh, 
Balu to the mm. um, brownies. Mm. Yeah, was, was it the brownies? Yeah. No, it's not the brownies. It, uh, she, it's the Balu cubs. Balu was part of the wolf cubs. Was it? Was she a wolf cub? Yeah. Yes, she was. That's right. Uh, she was Balu, and uh, Nicholas was Scar, Rose Scar, Queen Scout. Did you have a telephone? Not until we moved to our second house. The one in Sutton Coalfield? In Sutton Coalfield, yeah. How long was that after the war? Ah, seven, about seven years, eight years. So you did the 1950s? Yes. Because mm -hmm. that's early to have a telephone, because I remember us being one of the first people in the street to have a telephone, and that was in the 60s. Don't tell everybody about that. <laughs> but that was, the policeman was the only, and we only had one because mummy was a midwife. Ah, uh -huh. yeah, mm. I remember that. Mm. Mm. So there must be lots of changes that you noticed, even over that time, you know, before the war and after the war, up to the early 50s, there must have been a lot of changes, as you say. There were different families moving in, people from yeah. Jamaica, people from Ireland. Yes. Um, vending machines were coming yes. in, you talked about. What What other changes did you really notice? I didn't know. Um, I think life seemed very happy, very nice. Everyone seemed very friendly. You Hello. didn't get any backbiting. There was no sort of, oh, he's got so-and-so, well, I must have it, that sort of thing. We were all, I think, saving for our first fridge and uh, our first washing machine and all very thrilled for everybody when we got them. Uh, children were going to school. And that was all the parents. Also, of course, we wanted to build a church. We were told that we must, I forget how much money we had to find before we could get a grant for it. So we had barn dances and um, we started to do whist drives, but they didn't go so well. But mm -hmm. the barn dances do. And we'd have social evenings and we started a drama club. Oh, lovely. <laughs> and for the poor people's sins, we put on plays. And, and did you act? Yes. <laughs> and, uh, Can we ask what part you had? <laughs> anything that was going. <laughs> One thing I can remember, I was the um, wife and we were going to this boarding house and we were staying in this boarding house. And we'd done all our rehearsals. And when we were supposed to be going to the boarding house, you see, door opened and there stood my friend with her hair all done up in rollers. <laughs> and I just looked at her and we hadn't done that in rehearsal and I didn't realise she was going to appear like And she was the sort of person that you would never see in a hairpin in her hair, let alone... And I just rocked with laughter. Well, of course, it stopped the show. <laughs> <laughs> we did carry on again. <laughs> I don't know why. It suddenly struck me as being so... T I suppose it was so out of character. Yes. And we hadn't rehearsed that. No. You have to play acting for you, does she? <laughs> you failed. <laughs> I failed. But... Um, we had great fun and we had social evenings in the church hall and all sort of, I don't know what it would be in those days. I suppose if it was a, a florin, two pounds, it would have been as much mm -hmm. as it would be. Gosh. It? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. two pounds now wouldn't of course, yeah. be what? Florin is big money. Yes. I mean, it would have been five pence, wouldn't it? I don't, I've lost my English currency. Yes, now. I think it would be uh, today's five, but, but of course it wasn't. It was uh, two shillings. Yeah. And I, I think it was sort of 
there. Mm-hmm. And then you probably paid sixpence for refreshments, so yeah. you'd have your heart out for the evening. And bear in mind that everybody had brought something for the, for the refreshments. Uh, and that's how we got the money for the church. You built it and it opened. Yeah, it's still going there. It's sudden cold for you. Mm. Mm. And we've been back there. We went back to the Scout Union, but... Uh, so you were in Sutton Coalfield until the mid-50s? Yes. So what happened then? Because you're now down here in the sunny south. In the late 60s, um, yes, that must have been it. No, earlier than that, 50s, I suppose, um, my husband was transferred down to... Bristol office and uh, it was great shortage of houses then but again we found a nice little on the edge of a village a little cul-de-sac had been cut bar accounts was all those terrible people buying houses on that piece of green land and um, it's interesting, isn't it, that that was an issue then yes. in the late 50s because it's a big issue now, yes. isn't it? Anyway, we managed to get one of these houses and we had, oh no, we must have done a, a stint, in, yes, we did the stint in Sutton Coldfield, that's right. And then we moved to Bristol, well, we moved to Langford. And. Uh, Sorry, you moved to Bristol, then you moved to Langford? No. Langford is a village outside Bristol. Sorry, got you, yeah. And uh, my geography isn't the best. <laughs> and we uh, we stayed there quite happily. My son went to Leeds Uni. Uh, Felicity, I didn't do very well with children. They hadn't discovered that um, uh, negative blood doesn't mix with other blood. Mm. Anyway, my so your rhesus negative. Mm, my husband positive. Anyway, in the end, we did have felicity, but there's H as difference between them. Right. And uh, so she was. Are you delighted? <laughs> oh, we're thrilled a bit. So is Nicholas. Anyway, we were all having dinner one night. It was at the weekend. Nicholas had come home for the weekend. And I said, well, come on, who's going to start? So Ken said, well, I've got, and at the same time, Nicholas said, well, I, so I said, oh, carry on, Nicholas. He said, oh, no, no, father first. So he said, "Uh, I've been asked to go to South Africa for two years. Wow. And I said, oh, I said, well, that's obviously going to take a lot of thought, isn't it? So he said, yes. So Felicity, of course, was chatting away. So I said, wait a minute, what were you going to say, Nicholas? He said, oh, I was just going to say I had a very good week and it had been fun. I thought, no, I don't think that was it at all. But never mind, he won't say any more. And so we did. We went out to South Africa. And And so you didn't find out what Nicholas was going to say? Not at that time. And Nicholas was offered a job, and I'm sure you know who they are, Ovara. And come on. Can't think of it at all, sorry. The civil engineers. They are the ones that did Sydney Opera House. They are the ones that have done the various things. Other things, yeah. And he was offered a job in Johannesburg. And Nicholas was. Yes. So um, Nicholas was offered a job in Johannesburg and you were being sent to South Africa? Yes. What a coincidence. Well, no, it wasn't because uh, Ken <laughs> knew the um, manager in South Africa of Owara because he used to come over to Ken's factory because they used to do things for them. Yeah. Right. And he told him what was happening and he said there's a job for him in South Africa. So we all went out to South Africa. So your husband Ken knew that Nicholas was going to be offered a job or yeah. 
So he accepted the job in South Africa. And well, then... at that time, you'd have been silly not to because it was all a bit dicey, wasn't it, after the war, job-wise. Mm. Mm. And so... And this is the late 50s or early 60s by now? No, late 60s. Late 60s. Because we were there from 69, 70. We came back in 71. We loved the country. It's absolutely we're, we're, beautiful. We're in... South Africa, where are you? In Johannesburg. Yeah. We're a suburb of Johannesburg. But um, that is where I've really learnt the uh, difference between North and South. If you live North of uh, Johannesburg, okay, you're in. If you live South of Johannesburg, oh, they live in the South. I'd never struck that sort of thing before. Mm. And uh, but which did you live in the north or the north. south? North. <laughs> um, but we had a lovely time. It was a lovely English group. We made friends. Still got well. I've lost two of them. They've died. But um, we had friends. We used to do days at each other's houses and. Uh, Playing the gardens from in the it was, it was idyllic, but we couldn't get over the north, the black and white divide. No. Trestle tables piled high with food. They've no money. They're terribly broke. And they had done sandwiches and cakes and all sorts of things. And after the service, they said, now you'll come and have tea with us. And as we walked in, the flies lifted like that. It was just as if someone had taken a cloth, a black cloth. And our vicar suddenly put his arm around me. And I thought, oh, you're getting a bit pallid, Dick. So I said, what is it, Dick? He said, Hilary, you will eat a sandwich and you will eat a cake. So I said, well, what are we going down with? He said, you won't go down with anything. And he went round to everyone and he said, you will eat. You will eat. And okay. we all ate. And then we had food or what? Nobody went down with anything. That they were absolutely black with flies. And that was, you all ate because people had provided that who had nothing. That's right. They had nothing at all. And they had provided for us. Mm. So uh, what what did you do? Like you said you were a bit of a troublemaker because you couldn't get over this black-white divide. Well, people would say to me, oh, oh, yes, I've heard of you. Oh, golly. You're um, a black sympathiser, aren't you? And I said, no, I'm not a sympathiser as such, but I can't see why we can't. Oh, you don't understand. You're new from England. And the Afrikaans were even worse. Yeah. The Afrikaans were absolutely awful. Mm. You have to say who the Afrikaans were. The oh, Dutch. Yeah. They were the Dutch, yes. The Dutch, yes. Descendants. Descendants of the Dutch, yeah. Oh. And they really were. And... Ken said one day, we can't do anything. He said, you're, you know, making yourself ill, trying to help people. He said, you can't do anything. You'll be in trouble in the end. And he said, Nicholas has already realised he's on the blacklist. He'll never get anywhere in Ovala here. And he's going back to England. So uh, he said, we're going back to England. Mm. And so I said, oh, will they be pleased? He said, no, they're not pleased. We go back to England. We either stay here or we go back to England. But uh, they will have filled my job by then. So... Because you said it was idyllic, but you couldn't... What was idyllic about it then? Oh, the sunsets, the sun, the clouds, the... The soil, the soil is red and the beautiful plants that are growing in it and the trees and 
it is lovely. And the silly thing is, all the black people that we knew, they were so happy. And we had um, a crowd on Sundays. We had a hill just sort of down from us. And they all used to walk down there. And the, the girls on it, they're beautiful. You know, because at that time, uh, a girl, unless she was no good, didn't cover her head. You always covered your head. And they'd all have their hats on and all the rest of it. And they'd be going down and they'd have most lovely service on this hill and singing and they, they were they and were happy with what they'd got and they were accepting of you even though everybody else or the other oh i think that a lot of them were very fond of their um their madams and i think a lot of the madams <laughs> that's um did try to make things better for them, but the large majority, no. Oh, it's very nice to have all these. They'd never have had servants like that in England. They'd have no. But they would. <laughs> they were terrific yes men. Um, that uh, so we will see you next weekend, Lucas, when you come to the garden. Yes, sir. They said, right, well, I will order the grass because you don't use mm. grass seed, you probably know you. Mm. And I will order the grass seed. Yes, sir. And uh, he'd, off he'd go because Ken always used to take him down to the train because they used to pick them up as they are in England now mm. for nothing at all. And he'd all take them down to the train and see him on the train. Next weekend we'd come grass dying where it is no sign of <laughs> no sign of lucas you always have a lovely story oh yes my husband's brother's sister's uncle was very ill i have to go and see very very ill madam wouldn't have, wouldn't have wanted me not to go to see him but no i wouldn't lucas i can <laughs> believe a word of it gosh but um, no we had some some fun there and you've kept in touch with some of the people you met yeah. there, you said, yeah. Yes. Two of them have since died. One couple, oh, three, two, one couple and one of the girls. That, uh... Well, you've lived a very long life, Hilary. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose I have. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine it. I have a friend who is uh, uh, 11 months older than I am. Oh, 98. Yes, she's 98. And she's always been a child. We met at the office and we have been friends for what? 80 years, I suppose. Cool. And that was the office in London? No, the no, office in the, the post office. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. And uh, yes, we've been friends for 80 years. We were so lucky because when we met our various husbands, it would have been such a different story if they hadn't become very, very good friends. And um, we did holidays together and sounds lovely i don't know so you had a very long and happy marriage oh yes i was so so blessed everyone said it was ridiculous getting married at that age i didn't want my children to marry that young but i'm glad i did what would you say so far and you're clearly going very strong what would you say has been the mainstays that have kept you going happiness i think Happiness, which is born of well, having the right tools of parents and friends, where you've been brought up, and definitely your faith. Mm, it's been central to your life, the church. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, love. I mean, there's so much love out there. If you don't really have to look for it, it sort of seems to come to you. I, I'm, I don't know whether, I mean, my vicar said the other day, well, you look upon it, Hilary, that you've been blessed. So I said, yes, I'd possibly be blessed. 
I just sort of think I've been jolly lucky. Mm. But I don't know. What is the difference between being blessed and being lucky? It's like your doctor said when you fell the other day. Mm. Yes. You know, that was... She said you definitely... That was a miracle. She, she said that was a miracle. She said, God take, took you in your arms. She said, the way you fell, you should have broken most of the bones in your body. Especially against a marble fireplace. Yes. Mm. I did look a bit of a mess. I didn't realise you absolutely, saw me. Absolutely, absolutely. I didn't realise you saw me at that. No. <laughs> I was going to ask, what do you feel most proud of? My no, children. Don't annoying me. <laughs> My children... And in me, definitely at the moment, my son. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's because he was a chartered engineer. And then the thing he wanted to say after he'd got his degree results, which were very good in a chart, you know, you have to be to PSC, yeah. he wanted to say, Father, would it be possible? for me to go to theological college. He said, that is what I really want to do. And he, I said, why didn't you say it? He said, no, you've got enough on your plate. He said, you've got to decide what you're going to do. And I always felt I should have made him. I knew there was, that wasn't what it was. And I thought, well, he'll tell me. But of course he didn't for, 50 years. And has he since gone? <laughs> so he's achieved his dream, yes. his goal. He achieved the goal that mm. uh, he hadn't been diagnosed with Parkinson's then. They're, they're wonderful things to be proud of. Right, my uh, daughter. Well, it's been, it's been lovely talking to you, Hilary. It has, it's been lovely meeting you. It has, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. And I did say to you, it's very like talking to the Queen listening to you. <laughs> And you told me a lovely story. You couldn't possibly tell us that story <laughs> again, could you? Do you think so? Don't you think I could be hung at the stake or something? <laughs> well, I don't, if you don't want to, I just thought it was a lovely story. It did make me laugh all the way here in the car when you told me that well, story. Well, I do, do agree with you. I, I thought it was a good story, even though I had to hear it from the back of the car. And, um... <laughs> yes, I had the visit to Buckingham Palace. And my granddaughter arranged it beautifully. Uh, a little pickup met us at the side gate and brought a wheelchair. And uh, I went in the wheelchair, uh, found the round to get our tickets to go in. And then when we were coming out, we'd had a lovely time going round uh, the palace. We'd had tea there and absolutely lovely. I was back in the wheelchair and we were starting to walk around. There were massive faces, all at the railings, all peering in. They were all looking and looking. And suddenly I went, oh, poor souls, you know, you're all there. So I waved and there was a roar. And, <laughs> and all the hands went up, all, all waving. <laughs> so... The family have been very rude since and said, you're not really the queen, you know, Grandma. <laughs> but you definitely look like her and I can see, I can see why... Why they were mistaken. Yeah. Why they were mistaken. <laughs> I, I feel I've been in royalty this afternoon. <laughs> well, it was a long way away. I mean, they must have been, well, the railings must have been about here and I was there. And I suppose they just saw a white head doing that. <laughs> Throughout making this episode, I've been constantly thinking of our dearly departed Queen. Hilary has been mistaken for Queen Elizabeth II more than once. Both appear to have had an infectious laugh and wicked sense of humour. Yet, just like our dearly departed Queen, when it came to recording the show, Hilary's responses were measured and very professional. We loved talking to Hillary. As always, thank you to you, our listeners. 